0: You go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 4, and John, chapter 4, as well. Uh, Before I pray, I do want to uh, thank many of you. The phone calls, phone messages, text messages, Facebook messages, cards uh, in in regard to the loss of my mom, uh, and then the flowers that were sent, and then also for those of you who. then some of you showed up at the funeral, and then for those of you who've been sending cards to my father, as well, uh, those are all greatly appreciated, and uh, we thank you for your for your prayers. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, as always, we are grateful. You are kind and loving and good. Father, we ask that you will give to us a very strong desire to want to formulate and live our lives in submission. To all that you've said in the word. We ask, Lord, that we would recognize that we think no good thing on our own. That all that we understand, all that we do, all that we think that is right or moral does come from you. And so, Father, we are grateful for your faithfulness to yourself and your faithfulness to us. So, Father, we ask that you would continue to speak to us through your word and shape us and mold us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Three passages this morning I want to read that will kind of lay the foundation of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Matthew 4.4, this is what he answered, and this is Jesus speaking. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then in John chapter 4 verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And then in John 18 verse 37, and Pilate said to him, "So you are a king?" And Jesus answered, "You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice." You can tell from your notes what we're going to be dealing with today, which these verses don't really seem to be touching on, but they do, is we're going to be dealing with racism. And in talking about that this morning, if I was to ask you this morning, is racism a sin, you would probably, every single one of you, say, well, of course it is, or maybe even obviously it is. But you've got to remember that it's not obvious to everybody. In this group, it would be obvious, hopefully because our hearts and minds have been shaped by the Word of God, either after our conversion to Christ, or maybe you were raised in a Christian home, but we need to understand that when it comes to dealing with this issue in the lives of individuals, when we say or, that racism is a sin, we do need to be able to explain why it is a sin or why it is wrong. We might, if we're asked that, we might say, well, it's just wrong because it's clear that it's wrong. Again, it's not clear. Sometimes we might say, well, it's just obvious that we should always treat everyone equally. Well, well, who came up with that? I mean, did you just decide on your own, apart from any and all influences, to think this way? We sometimes actually think we did. We sometimes actually think that we have come up with things that are morally right on our own without recognizing that God has placed in all men truth, there is the unwritten law that is of God that's on the heart. There is the influence that comes from the Bible, either directly or indirectly, because there are times that we're influenced by the Bible, by those who have, don't necessarily believe the Bible, but they've adopted the morals of the Bible. And the re- what I'm getting at is that if we are ever in a conversation, or this question is asked, why do you think racism is wrong? There seems to be an answer that many Christians don't give, or a response that we don't give. And to me, it should be the obvious one, because God has said so. I'm not the one who's come up with this. None of us are the individual geniuses that have figured out what the moral plan should be. God is the one who has told us this. Now, what we're going to be going through today, none of this, again, is new, but it is amazing sometimes that even though there's been a great deal written on this, and it is really a simple thing to figure out from the Scripture, We're not always in tune with this idea that we really are thinking biblically, that that we are to be individuals whose entire lives, our minds, in every way, is submitted to the truth of the Word of God, that there is no moral goodness in and of ourselves, there is no morally right answers that we come up with on our own. It's not there. We are dependent upon the Word of God truly for everything. Man is corrupted by sin. And there are many, many peoples throughout the world, many nationalities, there are many uh, governments, there are many cultures that this idea of racism is not obviously clear to them. Racism does rear its ugly head in all kinds of ways and has so since man has been around. So it's not a new thing. And so, we as believers, if we understand our own history of the church, has not always done well with that. There have been problems along the way because sin is very pervasive. Sin infiltrates in all types of ways. Now, I do want you to also to understand this because sometimes individuals will say, well, I know it's sin, but you have to understand how I was raised. What we need to do with that is recognize that is not an excuse, period. You are a Christian. That's it. We submit ourselves to what the Word of God says. That's it. The Word of God states that we are to think certain things, then we must submit to that. If we don't, that's rebellion. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy all the time, because it isn't. But we have to stop with excuses for everything. Imagine an individual who says, well, you know, I know I should be you know, faithful to my wife, but you have to understand how I was raised. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't accept that. We would say, I don't... I don't really care how you were raised. That's never an excuse to be unfaithful. Why would you even think that? But we think that for this. We have to get away from that. Remember, racism is also one of those things that an individual may be able to control the way they respond and live life where others are unaware or can't see maybe that that exists in your life. There may be a few people who've seen it because you're very close to them, or maybe you've already ascertained that they're kind of thinking in the same way you think. And there are certain maybe general things that we think in this arena that, we, again, we just kind of overlook. We've just accepted and moved on. We never give it another moment's thought. Again, we need to remember that when we say that something is sinful, that something is wrong, maybe in every case we could also say this way, that is blatant rebellion against God. It's not a small thing, period. It needs to be rooted out of our hearts and lives. Some have said that everybody has some kind of prejudice. Prejudice, in one sense, can be very different because not all prejudices are based on, on ethnicity. Racism normally is based on ethnicity, uh, not necessarily skin color because there are individuals who may be of the same skin color that are racist against other groups like them because of the ethnicity or, or, you know, the differences in their cultures or whatever it may happen to be. But we need to look at this. Also remember that it tells us in Proverbs that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. We, that is not the beginning of spiritual knowledge. It includes that. It is the beginning of all knowledge. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Not just having an understanding of spiritual truth. It's all truth. We as believers need to continually fight and move away from this idea that somehow when it comes to the gospel, that the gospel is only concerned with your soul going to heaven. It is, and it must, and it does affect every aspect of your life. God has saved the entire person. He's not like saved your soul. We can say it that way, but we must understand that when we say that, what we should mean by that is the whole person. And the scripture is filled with that. It's not a new thing, but we do need to remind ourselves of that. The verses that I read as we began this morning all have to do with truth. Christianity is about truth. The Father, whose very word proves true, seeks to be worshipped by those in truth. Jesus identifies himself as the truth. He tells Pilate that the purpose he was incarnated was to bear witness to the truth. Truth according to Jesus will set you free. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Bible commands us to speak, to seek, and to walk and rejoice in truth. The Bible tells us that the church in 1 Timothy 3 is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. It reads, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth, or the buttress of truth, depending on the translation that you're using. In the Greek language, the word that's used for truth here is "aletheia." It does not describe what we feel to be true or what a trending political ideology says is true. It denotes objective reality as God defines it. Again, remember that because this whole idea of truth and what truth is, this is one of those reasons that not only is Christianity attractive to many people, but this is also the same reason why much of the world hates Christianity. Because it has, there's, there's objective truth about all things. And when you're talking about what is true, that's going to reveal what is false or what is wrong. When you compare Christianity to other religions, you're going to see the differences. They both cannot be right. And the world hates that. So the world wants to only speak in generalities and say, well, it's it's just about, you know, finding your spiritual truth and all the various language and words they use to kind of, you know, muddy the waters and make it some nebulous kind of thing that as long as we feel good and feel better about ourselves in some spiritual way, then we're all on the right path. And as Christians, we are the ones who are considered, you know, we're the stick in the mud. We are the official party poopers, I guess you would say, because we can't allow others to think that way. And we should not think that way. Real Christianity is obviously not about deception. It's not about propaganda. It's not about wish fulfillment. It's about reality. Reality is massively important. Christianity has a long history of taking words and definitions of words extremely seriously. We could fill libraries with Christian works that argue about the definition of words like justification, free will, kingdom, and many other words. Is this because Christians throughout history have been word sticklers and dictionary snobs? No, it's because Christianity is a religion of truth. Words have tremendous power to illuminate or to hide the truth. Definitions should always be a big deal for Christians. So biblically, then, sin is anything that falls short of God's will and glory, anything that violates his law and his character. As I said before, there are many things written about racism, none of these things that we're covering today are going to be new, but we're going to look at least at four of them as to why it is that racism is sinful, so we will be able to explain, hopefully to your children and to yourself, why it is wrong. We want them to think in, in terms of the Bible. Remember that to think in terms of the Bible is to think broadly and deeply. Don't let the world make you think that somehow that's to think in a narrow way. No, that's not a narrow way. It's a broad way. It's understanding that we are lost and we need help and the input and the truth that comes in the revelation of God to us. And we are, and we are given these singular best reasons to help us to understand why these things are wrong. The first one is really very simple. It's one that most of us have heard before. And the main reason why racism is a sin is because of the image of God. It is a sin to violate in thought, word, or deed the truth that all humans have equal dignity and worth as persons created in the image of God. It's a basic truth. We all believe that to be true. In fact, it was Christians for a long time that even when it came to um, the life of deformed babies, it was Christians who were the ones who refused to kill them. Because they recognize that though deformed because of the curse of sin, they are beings created in the image of God. And it was their responsibility to care for them. That these human beings, regardless of their limitations, had great value as human beings because they were created in the image of God. One of the many ways that truth can be violated is given in the book of James, in James chapter 3. Beginning in verse 8, it reads, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So again, we're just given the the, the truth right there. We're told that when when we speak against others, it mentions it's not just people, but people who are what? Created in the image of God. God then takes it personally when we move against, speak against other individuals, regardless of the context. We must be the ones leading the way in this. Not only in the way that we speak, but in the way that we even defend others. We must make sure that we don't allow these things to go on. So we're told here that even to curse a human being, to address them without respect, violates the image of God. When Jesus explains you shall not murder in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, he says there that if you treat someone with contempt, when you, when you yell at them, the word that's used there in the New King James is raka, or the word as it's translated is fool, you are violating the principle of the command, and you are in danger of the fire of hell. That's how seriously God takes this. So the way that we treat other people matters a great deal to God. It doesn't matter what society says or what any group says. It matters to God. Today, this seems to be excessive, but behind the sixth commandment is the doctrine of the image of God as expounded to us in James 3. It is a sin to treat any class or group unequally as being less worthy of respect, love, and protection. Now, I do know that we live in a time when there's been a lot of um, uh, determined efforts to kind of reframe the argument and redefine certain terms. And so when we talk about this, you know, when we speak of equality, there are those who are, who actually have changed that and what they want to see is equal outcomes where everybody is the same. That's not what we're talking about. And you can tell that when it just comes to the church that is designed by God and God, the giving of gifts to the church, that there's no equality there. Some are more gifted than others. That's never a bad thing. It's to be celebrated. We don't have an equal share of gifts or gifting or ability or anything else. The Bible never makes any apologies that there are the very rich and the very poor in the church or in the world. But it does say how we are to treat those individuals. There's never anything in there about us trying to make everyone equal or the same. Nothing in there at all for that. And so we recognize that in the Bible. But we need to make sure that we are not allowing somehow that to muddy up our judgment, and we allow ourselves to follow maybe the crowd, whatever crowd you are with. I know they can be hard when you it seems to be harder when you're younger. It seems we're more easily influenced because we, we want to have a group of friends. We want to have people who like us. And so as, as a teenager, when you're in school, whether it's middle school or high school, and you may be with a group of individuals who are your friends and all of a sudden, which maybe you never even were aware of before, they begin to mock or talk about an individual or maybe a group because of their race. All of a sudden now you're in that group. What are you going to do with that? Because you're a Christian. You, 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 you can, I guess, just sit in silence. I, I think that would be wrong. Because your silence would be seen as agreement. So when you're silent, it's not, when we're silent in certain situations, it doesn't always mean that we're in agreement, but at times it can be seen as if we are in agreement because we're not saying otherwise. And some of that depends on the situation. But many people would begin to assume that. We we must make sure that we separate from that. That doesn't mean you have to give up your friends. They probably will give you up, at least some of them will. But we, we need to stand strong, Period just doesn't matter. We, why? Because this is what God has said. I'm to be committed to God, to his word, to the truth of his word. <laughs> Treating people unequally on the basis of race is only one version of the sin, though it is particularly prevalent and grievous, and it is very pernicious. Remember that in Africa, that when the uh, Tutsis and the Hutus, uh, they've been at war more than once, um, The desire of whichever group has the advantage is genocide. They want to entirely wipe out the other group for racial purposes and reasons. I don't know what all there is that's between them. I'm sure you can do some research, you can see I guess there are a list of grievances against the other, but the end, that's what it is. Remember that when the last time that we are aware of, at least when there was a large scale, and I forget which side was winning, uh, but when there was a large scale in Rwanda of, of this war taking place, that even though many did own guns, that the weapon of choice to kill your neighbor if they were of the other group was a machete. They weren't doing it to save bullets because bullets were expensive. That was their weapon of choice. The cruelty of man to man is unbelievable. And this this sin that, that we talk about, it's not it's more than just individuals using so-called hate speech on a subway going through New York. It has led to great violence throughout the world. In our country, yes, but the violence in our country, though bad, can't always hold a candle to what's going on throughout the world. It doesn't make us any less guilty. We are guilty of this as a nation. It's still there. But what we need to recognize, again, as Christians is that even if you pass many laws trying to get rid of racism, which is not a bad thing, until the heart of man changes, racism will always exist. That is the only remedy. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual problem. Therefore, if a believer is still, for whatever the reason, allows themselves to remain to one degree or another racist, not because others have called you that, but I mean because you truly are, It is a spiritual problem. And it begins again with a refusal to submit to what God has said. To presuppose that your own race or nationality or ethnicity is inherently superior to another, to treat those of other races and nationalities with either unfairness or unequal justice or dismissiveness or even active contempt is a sin. And again, it is one in which you are in danger of of the fire of hell. God's law that he's given us is based on character, on his character. The Lord is literally no respecter of persons. The context for that statement in the book of Deuteronomy is a discussion of race and class. Again, Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 reads, He, which is God, shows no partiality. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. In Acts 10, verse 34, Peter learns that God shows no partiality on the basis of national or ethnic status. It is a sin to be partial and discriminatory discriminatory because it falls short of God's character and glory. So that's why we need to recognize this as being a big deal in the life of the believer. All sin is, this is one of those, most definitely. And then, of course, we add to the repercussions that add to it. Secondly, We know that racism is wrong or sin because of the commandment of God to love your neighbor. Jesus summed up all the laws of God in the two great commandments. And he says the second is to love your neighbor as we do ourselves. When Jesus was asked to define love of neighbor, he depicts someone who at great risk and sacrifice meets the physical material needs of a man of a different race and religion from himself. In fact, not only was he different, the Jews that he was speaking of understood that the individuals involved in the story were opposed to each other. They just weren't two individuals who were different, who happened to pass in in the middle of the night, but they were actively opposed to each other. There was an ongoing hatred or sense of animosity between theirs. There was a sense of disdain for the other, which would then make the sacrifice and the efforts that were made by the one even more amazing. And of course, in the story, the one who is the hero is the one that the Jews disdain the most. Jesus did say to go and do likewise. What he means is we must treat people of other races, nationalities, and classes and groups with the same amount of care, respect, and love that we would give to ourselves or members of our own communities. That's it. There's no way to get around that because we're Christians. If you have a friend who maybe they go to church and they call themselves a Christian and you're out hunting, you're out fishing or whatever it happens to be and you're talking about politics or something that's going on in the community or in the nation and then it comes out that they have maybe less respect for certain individuals and they make it sound like it's because of their race, it would be good for you to say, whoa, I thought you were a Christian. You can say, Christians are not allowed to think that way. Not true believers. They may say, well, you know how it is. You must say, no, I don't. I don't know how it is. I must must obey God. You must obey God. If you refuse to obey God in this area, then we do have the right to begin to wonder if that individual truly knows Christ. It's not because the sin of racism is worse than any other sin. There are many sins. You'd be talking to a man who's having an affair on his wife. He says, yeah, but you don't understand. My wife and I don't get along, and I have needs. I don't care. You're a Christian. This is what God says. This is wrong. Period. There is no justification for what you're doing. It doesn't exist. You're rebelling against God. This isn't because you and your wife don't get along or whatever. It's more than that. You see, there are those who don't like that approach. Now, we like that approach to the Scripture when, it, when, it, when we're talking about someone else. But when it comes to us, we don't like that. I know I don't. You know, there's, you've heard me say this many times before. I'll do it again. How do most of us, not all of us, how do most of us view speed limit laws? Well, but I'm driving safe at 70 miles an hour, though it's 55. I know I think that. I'm driving very aware. (laughs) Very aware that I'm driving 70. And you know how I know that? Because if I think if I see an officer, I put brake goes on. Slow down. Of course, you know there are many others who are guilty because they may be doing 55, and they see the same police officer and they break as well, and they weren't speeding. So the bottom line is, is that we need to recognize these things for what they are. Of course, we also know that it's a sin because of the new creation. At the end of Galatians, Paul says in chapter six, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. When Paul uses circumcision and uncircumcision, it's a metaphor for racial and ethnic differences. When Paul says that such distinctions mean nothing, he is not speaking absolutely because in other places he points uh, to his love and proportional pride for his Jewish heritage. So he's not saying that he's not recognizing that that there are differences and that there are ethnicities. Sometimes individuals will comment that this idea that when a person says, I don't see color, that that's, that, that might even be racist. What do you mean you don't see color? You're, you don't recognize that your friend is he's black? You don't recognize that your friend is a Filipino? How does that happen? Now, we also know this, they're not my friend because they're Filipino. But the idea is, is that we do recognize that. that's part of who they are. It's not a bad thing. We have, all, we have a lot of confusion. The main thing is, where is your heart? Is it in submission to what God has said? Do you recognize the individual as being really the same as you, made in the image of God, equal in every way, of great value and worthy of dignity and respect because the individual is made in the image of God, Period. The new creation is a renewed material world that's coming one day that's wiped clean of all death, suffering, tears, war, injustice, sin, and shame. This will be established at the end time, but part of the good news is that this is brought forward partially into the present. It's a theologian named Herman Reiterbos who says about that the new creation in Galatians 6 is the new reality of the kingdom of God. Through Christ, this new thing is not merely future, eschatological, but it is already present, is already in man. Many Christians do think that Jesus saved us merely through the cross where he paid the penalty for our sin and the resurrection was just a grand miracle by which God proved that Jesus was the Son of God. But it was far more than that. This is an inadequate view. And this inadequate view conceives of the gift of salvation in exclusively individualistic terms as a new personal relationship with God and little else. But Jesus rose as the first fruits of the future resurrection from the dead. And as such, he brings us the Holy Spirit, which is the down payment or first installment of a future renewed world and universe. We also know from the book of Revelation that God makes it clear that there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation bowing before him. Again, he recognizes that there are different ethnicities, but all will bow before Christ. Francis Schaeffer says that when a man comes under the blood of Christ, His whole capacity as man is refashioned his soul is saved yes but so are his mind and body as christians we are to look to christ day by day for christ will produce its fruit through us true spirituality means that the lordship of means the lordship of christ over the total man so through christ's resurrection we are united spiritually and vitally Not only to him and to all others who believe, but to the future world, cleansed of all suffering, tears, injustice, evil, and sin. The same power that will purify the universe at the end of time is what regenerates and comes into our lives now through the new birth. Just think about that for a moment. The same power that's going to purify the universe in the future, the same power that's going to purify the universe at the end of time, is the power of God that regenerates your heart, mind, and soul nothing remains untouched in your life. We then should with great excitement want the Lord to evaluate us and to reveal to reveal to us any and all shortcomings that we have and remove it from us. The new heavens and the new earth will not only contain saved individuals, it will have a new humanity without violence, without conflict, without war, without injustice. The power, of that new creation is partially but actually with us now. We are not to behave, we are to behave not according to the old age of sin and darkness, but to live in accordance with the world of light which is to come. And again, in the beginning of the early church, it was this unitedness, the unity of the brethren, that did stand out in stark contrast to the world seeing individuals from different classes and ethnicity ethnicities i'll get it out coming together and worshiping god as one calling each other brother and sister loving each other and caring for each other and the world did notice it was aware i've often been struck by the words of jesus who said that one of the ways, this is in the book of Matthew, that one of the ways that the world will know that God has sent the Son is by how we love each other. If you think about it, that's a very weird statement. That's strange. So what it's saying is that when the world sees the way I love Steve as my brother, they're going to think, wow, God really did send the Son. How? I don't get that connection. When they see me and Reggie, in case you're unaware, Reggie's black, I'm white. When they see me love Reggie, they will come to the conclusion that God the Father has sent the Son. It lends credibility to the gospel. The gospel doesn't need that, but it lends credibility to the message that there is a change. Why do I love Reggie? Well, it's certainly not because of who he likes in football, because he likes the Cowboys. (laughs) But I am able to overlook that, as if that is not even a thing, which is astounding. And love him as a dear brother, because he is my brother, in Christ. And that small thing will never divide us, though it will be a cause for teasing. And so the world needs to see that. Because that, again, is what points to Christ. Fourthly, racism is a sin because of the gospel of justification by grace through faith alone. In other words, to understand and to make progress against racism as sin, we must also understand racism as a violation of the principle of the grace of salvation at the heart of the gospel. Richard Lovelace says this. He explains that the great majority of Christians have a theoretical only understanding that they are saved by grace and not by their own righteousness. Functionally and practically however, the majority of Christians are not appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. He says instead in their day-to-day existence they rely on their justification for their just, on their sanctification for their justification, drawing their assurance of acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance or the relative infrequency of of their consciousness or conscious, willful disobedience. In other words, when you rely on your own achievements or pedigree or behavior more than the justifying work of Christ for your sense of significance and security, it makes you radically insecure. We need to bolster our sense that we are really good, lovable, worthy people because at the deepest level we know that we are not. That insecurity shows itself in a variety of forms, Arrogance, pride, self-hatred, shame, maybe defensive criticism of uh, of others. One bitter and common fruit from this failure to grasp grace salvation is to make your heart's operating principle is racism. He goes on to say this, they come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. They fix upon their race, their membership in a party, and their culture as a means of self-recommendation. Their culture is put on as though it were armor against self-doubt, but it becomes a mental straitjacket which cleaves to the flesh and can never be removed except through comprehensive faith in the saving work of Christ. When you read through missionary history, sadly you will see that there were many missionaries, I don't know what their percentage is, who were prejudiced against those they were trying to reach with the gospel. There was an innate belief, that they were superior. Different reasons for that, but that was there. And sometimes in the way they treated others, maybe in the advantage they took of others, it can, be see, it can be clearly seen. All were not that way, but definitely some were, to our shame and to our detriment as Christians and to the detriment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that we don't think that way. And on the other hand, to make sure that if we are convinced that we are not racist, which may be true, to not think that somehow you are superior to others because you are not racist. Because remember that our acceptance to God is not, well, I'm not racist. God accepts me. No. I'm accepted by, by the work of Christ, by my faith in Christ. You know, when I thought about my mom when she passed, you know, as you get older, you become aware of your, of, that your parents aren't perfect. My mom did not go to heaven because she was a good mom. She didn't. She went to heaven because of God's grace. And I'm so grateful for the truth of God's grace to know that my mom was there in heaven. Because no matter how much I love my mom, no matter how much I am willing to overlook whatever flaws she may have had, she doesn't get into heaven because I think anything. And she doesn't get into heaven because she thought anything or because she did anything. She placed her faith in Jesus Christ. So we must acknowledge and do the same. We need to make sure that we somehow don't allow our racism or our lack of racism to become a form of self-righteousness. We must never allow the fact that we belong to a certain church or group or religion to somehow fuel this, this, this hatred that we sometimes have or maybe it's a subtle disdain for others because they're different than we are. Again, Paul says as much in Galatians 2. Remember, he found Peter refusing to have fellowship with Gentile fellow believers. Now, he was having fellowship with them, but then when he heard certain Jews were coming, all of a sudden he changed. And so Paul, when he scolds him, doesn't appeal to him on the grounds of failure to love his neighbor or to honor the image of God that we could have. Instead, he says that attitudes of racial and cultural superiority are not in line with the gospel. They violate the gospel, which equalizes us all as sinners, as recipients of grace, apart from anything about us. I used to have people say this to me when I was a jail chaplain. Sometimes people think this when it comes to maybe other nationalities or other cultures. And we would say it this way, I'm so glad so-and-so was there teaching those people about Jesus because they really need salvation. What does that mean? They really need Jesus. It's, now, I don't think anyone thinks this, but it's almost as if we're saying, well, I know that I've sinned, and Jesus bled for me, but he died for them. That somehow their sin or their differences between us, or maybe because they're more savage or brutal or whatever, rises to another level and requires maybe greater effort or greater sacrifice of Christ. Christ had to die for all sinners. He, he died for me so that I could enter into heaven. And he died for them. We need to make sure that we don't see, or make sure that we're not using racism or the lack of racism as just one way to establish a righteousness and and, an identity of our own apart from God's salvation. Because of the culture we live in and because of this issue, there are those sometimes who are in the church who get caught up in various political movements or social movements and they begin to think that they are superior because this this is their hill to die on. And they're going to make this their hill. They're going to to make this the issue. I'm not saying it's wrong if you really feel compelled to deal with racism in our culture. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you begin to feel that you are superior to other Christians, because this does go on. I've had many encounters with individuals who think that. That somehow, if we're all not just doing this one thing, dealing with racism, that somehow we are failing Christ or failing as Christians, And they have a long list of things uh, that we failed in. So we want to make sure that we're not, we want not allow ourselves to get caught up in any kind of issue in that way. It doesn't mean that we should ignore it. That that's never an excuse as well. We want to make sure that we're not allowing that to become the standard, especially when we begin to add our own list of things to it. We need to recognize that racism is destructive and it is wrong. And but, but again, that the only remedy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, when Paul rebuked Peter for not living in line with the gospel, he wasn't shaming him and putting pressure on his will to comply. He was reminding him that his racism was a failure to grasp the good news of God's salvation. That's what it may be for you or me. kind of goes back to that phrase that we sometimes think, that that group really needs Christ. And again, we may not have thought that through when we've said that, but it's just a failure on our part to recognize God sacrificed for us to recognize really the radical message of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in saving you and me. That we need to get rid of this idea that to some degree, God, not that he needed to save us, but that to some small degree we're more deserving than others. Not that we would say it this way, but it's almost, well, of course God would save me. There's no of course to that. So this is one of the most shocking things sometimes of salvation is that it's based totally on God's goodness. <laughs> That's a fearful thing. Why was I not overlooked? God is good. I'm so grateful. So grateful. Let me close with this Galatians 3, beginning in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all. Sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What I can tell you when I have, I haven't traveled extensively, but I have. Traveled to South Africa and to Mauritius, and I've been in Romania and Hungary, uh, and I've been in Mexico. And when I've come across believers, one of the most marvelous things, it's probably a bad sentence, but one of the most marvelous things that I've experienced is the instant embrace of fellow believers that are not Americans. Because I know Americans aren't always held in high esteem in other countries. And that is completely overlooked. Just so you know that there are Christians in other countries who have a hard time with American Christians. They wonder what we're doing. They, 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 they pray for us because they believe that, as a whole, American Christians tend to be unfaithful to God. Not because they hate us, but because what they see the church doing or not doing. But they love us because we're one in Christ. It's a, it's a fantastic thing. We need to be that way with all other believers, understanding and asking God to bless that, not, not only so that we are somehow encouraged by that, but so that the world may see the power and the love and the grace of God himself and come to understand that, yes, indeed, God has sent the Son into the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your love and kindness and grace. We thank you, Lord, that when you came to save that you are no respecter of persons. Ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to search our hearts to ensure that at least in this area today, mm-hmm. there is no stone that needs to be looked under because we are hiding this sin. I pray you'd help us to come clean. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us. I ask, Lord, if any individual has so deluded themselves into somehow accepting even a small degree of racism in their life, I pray, Lord, that you would convict them very deeply of their rebellion against you. And they would recognize the incredible rebellion that is in their heart and their refusal to love you and to love others. Father, we know that we may never convince the world that we're not racist. But that's not what the goal is. The goal is to live in light of the gospel and to truly not be racist, because you have cleansed our hearts, that you have changed us, and that we love each other, praying and hoping that others will see the truth of the gospel and the relationships that we have with each other. And if it pleases you, Lord, to use that in their life, we will give you all the glory and the honor. We ask you, help us, Father, to not be ashamed of the scripture. And that when we are asked as to why we somehow think that racism is wrong, that we will boldly proclaim it's because this is what God has said, because this is in the Bible, and we submit to what the Bible has said. We pray, Lord, that we would desire to be cleansed of every wrongdoing, and that we would no longer allow any excuses to cloud our judgment or to try to find a way to justify, to remain in our sin, but to be cleansed before you that we may be truly free of that which drags us down. Father, you are a great and loving God. We do thank you for the human race and for all the many differences that exist between us. What an unbelievable, boring world this would be if we were all the same. And we thank you, Father, for the diversity that you've placed within us. We thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.